Online Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Johnson. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now... Let the buzz begin! Hello, AfterBuzz TV fans, and welcome to another episode of The Voice Of. I'm Katie Cullen, and I am here with the fantastically talented Liam O'Brien. How are you doing today? Oh, hi. I'm okay. My feet are recovering from Comic-Con, and then a day at Legoland uh, to boot. You added Legoland on top of Comic-Con? Well, I have kids, so that's what we do. It's our... Oh, maybe I should just tell the world exactly what we do every Comic-Con as we go. <laughs> and I tromp all over the gas lamp district and uh, do the con thing. And then the, oh, I take the kids to the land of Lego. So you're superhuman is what you're saying. <sighs> I'm, I'm a broke-down old mule who just pulls the cart one, one day at a time. <laughs> well, I think you're faring a little better than I am at con recovery. Mm. So... Let's talk about some of the fun stuff in your career. How did you get into the industry? Um, well, I've been an actor for a long time. I started in high school in uh, The King and I, which is my first ever production. Really? Uh, yes. I played a slave and uh, Sir Edward Ramsey, who was an English ambassador. And I was, I'm sure I was terrible. Um, but I did high school plays and just decided that was it. And I went to NYU and... Uh, plunked around theater school and then plunked around theater doing serious plays and eventually I just I met a guy I mean that is that's a pretty common story for people doing this it's a lot of who you know right well yeah you just actors meet actors and that's how everything works really but it's especially true for our business and um, this guy had uh, met a guy a couple of years before me and so he just paid it forward and um what started as sort of a thin little dribble of dubbing anime work in New York City before I moved west uh, just slowly rolled down the hill, and now it's like this big old, big old snowball going down. And now you have an IMDb page that's three miles long. Uh, yes, yes. I, um, I'm trying desperately to think of some sort of length joke for paper. And, it'll uh, come to you. Yeah, it'll, it'll, come. it'll come at the end of this episode. You'll, you'll come up with it as we're signing so off. So far, all the options are probably too crass, so I'm just going to leave them on the table. Eh, we'll just wind up rated explicit on iTunes. Oh, okay. So, so if you could go back on stage, would you be interested in doing another theater production if you could? Oh, heck yeah. What would um, you like to do? What would I like to do? I'd like to do some Shakespeare outside. Shakespeare in the Park? Mm-hmm. Which I've done a little bit. Uh, I did a Midsummer once like that, and it was. Who did you play? I played Puck, man. <laughs> I played Puck, and I wore little sort of leaf-colored chonies and some some sneakers because the the grass was covered in goose poop, so I had to dodge goose poop. <laughs> and I had leaves in my hair and glitter and all that. All that was great. So um, it's a regular Saturday night at Comic Con. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a rave. Um. I'd like to work, uh, I've worked at the Geffen uh, here in town. Really? Uh, and I, yeah, eight years ago, last play that I did. So I, uh, there was a point in my career where I was doing plays still, uh, even after I moved here. And I started directing uh, other actors for dubs of anime. 
mm-hmm. and I was getting starting to get starting to get voiceover work in games more than I had. And it was just it was paying the bills and coming at me and theater theater film TV I was like chasing. Um, and I just I had a kid and that decided everything. So I told myself that I'd put it on on pause and we're uh, almost nine years later and I'm finally at a point where I'm starting to sniff around town seeing if I can if someone will trust me to get back on the stage. Well, we'll let see. us know if you get a role. We would love to see it. I will. I will. So it sounds like voice acting and directing all kind of happened at around the same time then. Yeah, I I came up through sort of the trapdoor in the business, um, Japanese animation, um, while scoffed at. Uh, Not so much anymore, I don't well, think. Well, <laughs> no, no. Well, show me the money. Yeah. Ah, uh, point. Um, it's just the budgets are smaller. Um, True. And uh, but it's still the most difficult. Uh, voiceover work I do when I do it. Um, it's highly technical. Um, what is it that makes it so difficult? Well, you're when I work on a game or animation now, I have almost never have any kind of picture or anything. It's just the sky's the limit with your imagination. Um, there's no timing constraints other than maybe the director will say, yeah, we need you to go a little faster or I think this moment should slow down or something. They'll just, you know, you've, you're feeling it out. But with uh, dubbing anime... The picture, it's a finished show, so everything is locked. They're not going to reanimate mouths for English. and uh, It's the same flap, but we call it the flap. Flap, 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 flap. Uh, so they hire someone like me to look at a direct English translation. I don't speak Japanese, uh, but I get English translated for each line and, and go, oh, that's way too long or way too short or it sounds ridiculous or uh, or there's... The, the 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 Japanese character is pausing constantly, but this is just like one long sentence. So you have to creatively find ways to shrink, shorten, slide thoughts around. It's like a little Rubik's cube, and that's just the writing of it. And then an actor comes in, has never seen the show usually, um, has no idea what the timing is, doesn't have the lines memorized or anything, and you just have to be able to in the moment read the line. You get a preview, and then you jump in, and you're both watching that flap, but keeping an eye on the flap. Well, keeping an emotional life going at the same time. So it's just it's just spinning a lot of plates at the same time. Um, and it's just this weird little nook of the entertainment industry uh, where almost like no one, the, the guards aren't watching the door. No, you know, the guy with the key is on, on a coffee break. And I, someone gave me a chance. No one would have given me a chance to, I don't know, to, to play Gollum. Right off the bat, but someone was willing to give me a chance to uh, audition for for an anime series, um, and so anime for like three or four years, uh, I was pecking uh, pecking away at that, doing a couple jobs a year, and then I got here, and it, there's not as much going on in LA, I think, as there used to be. But um, when I first got here, there was still plenty, and after a year of acting and stuff, somebody in town said, "You know, you're not a total idiot. Would you like to um, write a couple of these for me?" And I said, "Oh, sh- sure." Uh, he asked if I was a writer, and I lied and said I was. And then suddenly I was a writer. And then six months after that, he said, yeah, you, I was right. You are not a uh, dope. Uh, how would you like to direct? And I, uh, Can you direct? And I lied again and said, yeah, sure, sure of course. And um, that, So you just kind of hit the ground running I on just everything. The ground running. Yeah. You just, you, just, you just step out there and trust that it's going to work. That has uh, proved uh, my motto in my career. And... Working in Japanese animation led to acting uh, in Japanese games. Uh, 
which led to directing voiceover for Japanese games, Resident Evil 5. Which le- and I was like a, a joint director. There were Stephanie Shea is another great actor in, mm-hmm. in our circle. Uh, she and I sort of tag teamed the voiceover, and there was a cinematics director. And then by the time I got to Resident Evil Six, they handed me the whole enchilada, and I was on the mocap set, sort of as like a English acting guru for the two Japanese directors, and and you know I helped out, and then became the voiceover director once they finished filming the mocap scene. So it just like little by little, I kept getting trusted with more, trusting with more. Trusted with more, suddenly I'm helping Neil Druckmann on The Last of Us, directing Orcs for Shadow of Mordor. So over wow. s- overnight success uh, in like uh, I don't know, thirteen years ish. <laughs> That's a very long night. Yeah, yeah. So there are a number of projects where you've written and directed and voiced. Where does that overlap? Uh, you mean I've had a hand in all of it? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, like, there haven't been that many with writing... all three, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've written series. There was an anime early on my time here in LA called Gunsword. Gunsword, giant robots and other things. As you do, as you do, and I auditioned for a part for a show that I knew I was going to be writing and directing, and I booked one of those parts, a character called Ray. For anyone who's seen Gunsword, Gunsword, and. Um, and then I then I started uh, writing it with myself in mind, and then I started directing myself. And I, I was way more critical of myself than I was of other people, so I'd be a little OCD and probably redo things a little too much. Um, but I've gotten a little more fast and loose in my uh, old age. Um, I haven't actually acted, written, and directed anything in a while. I've done a lot of acting, directing, but not, okay. not the whole trifecta. That little Venn diagram doesn't overlap not, too terribly not often. Not anymore, no. All right. I have to ask, what's the favorite line that you've written for yourself or for anyone else? What are you particularly proud of? Hmm. Um, are you familiar with Bleach? Yes. The show Bleach, yeah. I was uh, I adapted episodes of that at the beginning, uh, only for like the first 15 or 20 episodes. But um, for anyone who knows Bleach, the characters are sort of... Uh, Spirit uh, warriors, uh, and that's very simple, simplified explanation of what they are, but they all have a magic sword that's sort of part of their essence. And uh, the main character, who's not even supposed to be there, has this gigantic, they're called Zampakto on mm-hmm. the show, and um, he he's meeting one of these other guys for the first time, and no one thinks he should be there, and he's got this sword. And one of the other characters re- reacts to him and says, oh, my gosh, look at the size of that thing. What are you, crazy? You don't need something that big. It's not refined at all. And um, the Japanese line was something like, so you're saying that my Zanpakuto is larger than other Soul Reapers, uh, and that's out of the ordinary? But the flap was a fifth of that. It was just bukka, 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 bukka. That, that was it. Wow. And they they usually would want all the terminology put in, um, but even if you didn't put in Zanpakuto, which is a mouthful, there were still plenty of other words, and I only had a small window. And I stared at it, and I stared at it, and I drummed my fingers on the table. And eventually it just became, so you're saying I have a big one, huh? <laughs> uh, and they kept it. I couldn't believe they kept it, but they kept it. <laughs> well, I think that made up for not coming up with a paper yeah. joke earlier. <laughs> Thanks. It worked. It kept the spirit and the attitude. And, uh, you know, you, you try as best you can. I haven't even adapted an episode of anime in two years, although I've probably adapted 250 of them. Uh, you try as much as you can to mirror 
precisely the meaning and, and the feeling of it, but sometimes it becomes impossible, and so you just do your best to honor the spirit of it when you can't. Because the, it has to fit the flaps at the end the of the day. And you get uh, sort of hogtied sometimes, they, or your hand's tied behind your back. Yeah. So what's been your favorite project to write for? Mm-hmm. Or a flip side, what's been the most difficult to write for? Oh, I'm not going to answer that question. Oh. Um, I've enjoyed, there are two things I, I would think of. Um, I've enjoyed writing for the show Naruto, mm-hmm. which is a huge bananas anime series that's like Harry Potter, except turn everybody into uh, ninja. ninjas. Right. It's great. Um, it is so good. And I've read all the manga for it. Um, I was much more involved several years back. <clears throat> I'm more into the video game space now, but I wrote, I don't know, 50 or 60 episodes on it, and I just became very connected to all the characters, not not just my character. And you voiced Gara, <clears throat> who becomes one of the larger characters later yeah. in the series. But he, he was he was always pretty substantial, but he was uh, a, a murderous little bastard in the beginning, and then he he uh, changes. Um, and I've had no role like that either, by the way. One I've played him for... A decade. I think it's. A, I think wow. it's nine years, maybe eight or nine or ten years. Given Naruto, we, probably. I think we're in the four hundreds. I don't know from the five hundreds, but that's a lot of episodes. Um, so I've never played anything that long. I've never done anything that long. Um, but I, I just really have a lot of friends and uh, in the in the production and uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who's an amazing woman uh, who acts and directs, and you should have her. And sometimes she's one of my favorite people. We'd love to. <clears throat> I'll, I'll drop a hint, um, <laughs> but it just me- it just has meant a lot to me over the years. The other thing is uh, Resident Evil Six. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't write the plot, just like I didn't write the plot of Naruto. But again, with localization being such a tricky thing, scripts came in, and I, they had to have a translator look at it, and they were pretty happy with it. But I was uh, happy that they let me go through and rework N- uh, not not so much the cutscenes, but just the in game. Um, I really wanted to treat the the in-game scripts just, just like we did on the the Last of Us. The uh, Naughty Dog doesn't treat uh, in-game with their cutscenes any differently. It's just a complete tapestry and goes and goes and goes. Um, Which is good for the flow of the game. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I feel that I probably improved that connection uh, in six. I felt like I had an impact on the game because of it. Well, good. I'm finding a new question. Sure. Switching to voice acting. Again, you have a huge, huge roster, and your Wikipedia page says something along the lines of, and he usually plays characters who are evil or insane. That's true. That's <laughs> so true. I have to ask, heroes or villains, which do you prefer to play? Um, it, I, I really don't even have a choice in the matter. I, I tend to get cast as villains. Not always. Um I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weasel. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I think that I, I've thought about this. Not too hard, but I've thought about why this is. And I think that growing up, um, I was a you know I was a doofus. I mean, I'm still, but uh, I mean, I was bullied a little bit, and I wasn't really great with sports, and I wasn't that confident. Um, I'm still not sure how I flip flopped and and do what I do now. But as a kid, I didn't have a ton of confidence. Uh, until I started working with, with with words, really, and language, and I got into high school, and I started doing something called forensics, which is not 
crimin, criminal Done stuff. Forensics, but yeah. Forensics, okay. Yeah. So that's where it all started, really. Before even plays was forensics, um, just talking in public. I did, I did prose and poetry. What did you do? I did, I think it was prose and poetry. It was the uh, shorter book section. Mm-hmm. Short stories, essentially, but yeah. I was trying to remember the original question, and I just did. Um, so... <laughs> So a lot of my personality still, like, I, I still feel like it's in my bones is that I'm not, I never felt like I was a leader or a hero. Um, when I was growing up, I, I gravitated to Gollum in, in the, the animated movie that, that came out when we were a little, little, or maybe even before we were born. I can't remember when that came out and the books and, uh, Tetsuo in, in the movie Akira and like those kind of characters, Don downtrodden characters, I, uh, I felt akin to, even though I wasn't going to destroy Tokyo. Um, and that's just stayed a part of like the fabric of Liam all this time. So it just happens. It's a little easier for me to do, I think. Or maybe I enjoy it more. Or maybe um, a little I'm, more range in there than in Heroes. M- maybe I'm trying. That's that might be true as well. Maybe I'm trying to get revenge vicariously on all the people who put me in lockers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I have played heroes. I've played soldiers. I've played. True. I've played big guys who do good things, and and that is also perplexing to me as well. But I've just learned to take my frontal lobe out and embrace it. Playing big guys is perplexing. Uh, yes. I mean, I'm. You're talking to me now, right? Do I sound mm-hmm. like the one of the horsemen of the apocalypse? This is my voice right now. This is my main voice, and uh, I get I've, I got hired to play Illidan, who is the massive demon from Warcraft. I've played the Shah of Violence, um, War, uh, Caius Ballad from the Final Fantasy games. They're all these big, deep, sonorous characters, and so that's something I've stumbled into. And we had you on on Robots in Disguise for Underbite. Right, and he's huge. He's like a bicep-kissing monster truck, basically. Um, I, don't, I don't know. And, you know, that wasn't what it was like at the beginning of my career either because I play. I was cast more true to type for the mm-hmm. first four or five years. I The very first job I got was like this little skeevy little sort of uh, stalker kid. And, uh, and that's your true to type? <laughs> well, no, but I mean like he was, he was, you know, he didn't fit in. He was he was an outcast. Makes sense. So that's that was my in, I guess. Um, I did a lot of that on on stage too. Uh, parts I played, um, but just I think what happened is, I might be running on too much of the mouth here. Oh no, please! This is fascinating. I think what happened was I was specifically working at one company, doing working on an anime earlier in, in my time in LA. And someone, as often happens, you play the part you're cast as. And then they say, oh, we got this other guy. He's carrying boxes. You've got five lines. And they said, yeah, we've got this trucker. Uh, he's only got like seven lines, uh, but here it is. And they're like, can you do deep? And I was like, I don't know. And I just, I pitched it down. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Come on. I, I don't know what it was exactly. But uh, at that company, they take sound files for everything you do and make like a library. And then mm-hmm. that company hired me for another deep character and another deep character. And then someone else hired me for a deep character and then just went ping, 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 ping. And before I know it, I was uh, Illidan Stormrage. And they really like that trucker, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, too. So let's talk a little bit about Illidan because I, when I let some of my friends know I was interviewing you, that was their knee-jerk reaction. Oh, my God, he's Illidan. Mm. So what's it like playing a boss? Um, video game boss, I should a video specify. Video game boss. That was one 
that was one that I didn't know what it where where it was going to go. I didn't really have an idea of what Warcraft, what its reach and how passionate its its fandom is. Um, and it was I started on the trailer. I wasn't the first person to do the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, I replaced. I, I've I've replaced people, and I've been replaced. It's just the nature of the business. Yeah. And. Uh, they just had me do like a, they played a voice sample for me, and I did like ten lines from from the Burning Crusade trailer, and like that turned into a calling card for me. I had no idea that it would, but when anywhere time I go to conventions, people yell the words "You are not prepared" to me, and it was all because of this one trailer I did in a small small little box somewhere in Glendale, maybe? I, I think that's where it was. Glendale, Burbank, Bang Zoom. <sighs> was it? Uh, no, not was Bang Zoom. I think it was I think it was someplace that doesn't exist anymore. There's a lot of those. Fun fact, every uh, every other building in Los Angeles is a recording studio. Really? It's about every other building. Statistically? Statistically, yes. I've gone to, I have been called in for jobs and I'll walk up to a door and I'll look Two down, uh, I'll arrive, never n- never having been there, and I'll look over and go, oh, I've been in there 50 times acting. And this is also a recording studio. Is that one? I mean, there, it's really, like, everywhere. Everybody's got one in their living room here, in the back of their car. Uh, I think you might have a recording studio in the back of your recording studio, just to let you know. Yeah. Yeah, it could, we are soundproofed, so okay. could be. Mm. Well, the industry's pretty crazy here. So, you do have the question, what line do fans ask you to quote most often? But I'm guessing that you are not prepared. You are not prepared. That's the number one. So, what have been some of your favorite fan interactions? What have fans said and done that really stick out in your mind? Hmm. I've loved seeing... um, Gosh, I'm going to go blank here while I think about it. Um... I've loved seeing kids dress as all the characters from Naruto uh, over time. Um, Gara wears this big gourd on the back. It looks like a giant peanut. Yeah. And I've just gotten a kick out of going to conventions as far as New Zealand and having some, like, 10-year-old or 8-year-old kid come up and go, Oh, I, lo- I love Gara. He's so cool. And they'll have the big peanut on their back, and it's just it's so funny. That so it, it's become a game of find the peanut at find conventions. Find the peanut, uh-huh. Um... I get a, a lot of nice letters. Um, I've gotten, and I'm jumping out of voiceover for a bit, sort of. But Go with, for it. With the show, um, I, I play uh, Dungeons & Dragons a lot mm-hmm. uh, recreationally. And this year, that has turned into a show with a bunch of other voice actors on Geek & Sundry. And in a space of about three months, uh, a fandom as potent as any anything with any other project I've been on sprang up overnight overnight and we get photos and fan art and letters from people who are playing the playing the game for the first time in their lives because they watch us dork around with each other um you know and imagine that we're in a far off place and and one of the things we'd hope for is coming true and that is that tons of people are playing the game and we've, we've gotten some beautiful letters well that's about great it. yeah come a long way since the negative stigma of what the 80s yeah yeah it is uh, it's it's kind of going through it's becoming chic in a way all right a little bit a little bit well let's talk a little bit about critical role okay. how did you get into that how did that get started uh that started back on resident evil 6 sort of uh, i knew matt mercer another mm-hmm. great actor 
uh, Dungeon Master Extraordinaire. He's our our DM on the show, and he 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 created the show. Like it spilled out of his noggin. Um, but I got to know him directing him as the character Leon Kennedy on mm-hmm. Resident Evil Six, and we got along. And about every other time he came in, he'd be like, "Yeah, I just you know I play D and D sometimes with a group of people. Would you want to?" Excuse me, that was a coffee burp. Um, <laughs> would you want to come join us? And I really, it, it sounded great to me, but I I was very heavy in with the directing, and there would be meetings late at night, and, and I had two newish kids. And I just, I, then and now, um, I didn't have a lot of free time, and I said, oh, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday, one-off. Uh, I'll come in for a one-off. I couldn't do it regularly. I just couldn't do it. Fast forward to three years ago, and... Um, on my birthday, I got it in my head to just do it as a one-time thing with friends. Um, another side note, I do a podcast called All Work, No Play with Sam Regal, which is just us being idiots. And we pick something new to do every time, or we try to. And it was the very beginning of the show, and it was just an experiment. I'd say, all right, we're going to ask – I'm going to ask seven of our closest friends to play the game as a one-off for my – as a birthday present to me. And we did, and it – it stuck, and it was amazing to me because I fell in love with it immediately. Like I'm way more into it now than I was when I was in high school, and uh, it, you know, it's it's nerdy on the surface. I guess it's nerdy on the inside and the outside. But um, yeah, but we have a lot of variety in our group. We've got a guy who looks like Colossus playing mm-hmm. this game with us, um, and I feel like that might not have happened uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but we've got. Some of the most charming, lovely, uh, entertaining people I know in this business, and um, it just became this this thing for us. Even before the show, we didn't play it as much. We played like every six weeks, but we all jonesed for it. We were all all looked forward to it, and it slowly became real in the back of our heads. So it started off as a campaign for fun, and then it became a thing with Geek and Sundry. It's yeah, it started off as a one. It was supposed to just be one night for beers and laughs. Um, Laura Bailey, a great, great, amazing actress, uh, was there, and she, in five seconds, dropped into character, started talking like she was a badass elf, half-elf, sorry. Um, I mean, we're all good at improvising and uh, and obviously getting into character, and everyone just embraced it wholeheartedly. Um, and it was just something we were doing for fun. And then um, a couple of years into it, Matt, at one of our games, just said, hey, by the way, and apparently... Uh, Felicia Day and Geek and Sundry called him in for a meeting and suggested we'd love to do something with you. We're not sure how to do it or what it would be. And that began like a year, year-ish of them talking and every once in a while he'd fill us in. And just when I thought like, oh, I guess that's not going to happen, then we started. So that that sounds fantastic. It makes me, I can't even quantify how happy it makes me. It is the the, the space that I am the most carefree in. Well, good. Hmm. It should be if you're having fun with the game. It's a game, yeah. So, what is your favorite aspect of your character? Oh, on um, Critical Role. Yes. Um, there's there's various ways to play D and D or to go about doing it. There's some people who play it and are very number crunchy and try to find the weapons that have the highest stat values and the are the best armor. And I'm gonna come up with a spell that will magically farm gold and I'll be rich. And rules lawyers, rules lawyers. And I have, I I mean I'm not gonna say I don't get excited when I find some interesting thing, but um, I get like 
tweets from fans, messages from fans, like, you should totally use, get this or get that, or, like, it's not, it's so not why I'm into the game. I'm into the game to do things that I I wouldn't necessarily do in life, so I like uh, running in into dangerous situations with with him, and uh, I know that I'll die eventually, I know it's inevitable, uh, and I don't care. So you like to kick down the door, then? Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, eh, half the time, I like doing things that that are risky. Uh, on purpose. I have grabbed ropes and jumped off of high places. I have gone running into trap late in rooms without being a good rogue and, and sussing the situation out. But I, it's it's why, I, why I'm doing it. That sounds like an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. And that's half the fun of D&D is doing ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So is there anything about your character that you want the fans to know that hasn't come up in game yet? <sighs> Yeah, I have a couple of uh, secrets um, that I'm holding on to. I've had some ideas recently uh, that I'm going to s- slowly start uh, dropping in, but I don't want to. I don't want to say them here. So we'll just have to wait. Yes. Yeah. And hope that you survive long enough to tell yeah. us mm-hmm. what it is you're thinking of. Char- Character-driven stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite moment in the campaign so far? So far, what really sticks out? It's, it's impossible to pick one. Um, the one that we talked about the most was shortly before we turned into a show, which was uh, Ashley Johnson from The Last of Us and many other things. Um, she plays a gnome cleric, and she died. <laughs> she uh, we we got her back. We were close to a big city, which meant we had access to the holiest of priests and. Um, but we still had to do this long. Matt made us do this long procedure and roll multiple times. And if we rolled too crappy enough times, then it would would have gone south. But when he told her she was dead, like we were all, a couple of people were crying. Oh. Uh, I was close. Um, so that was pretty big. And then we got her back. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it's stupid how much it affected us. Or, no, that's or perfect. the sign of a really good story. Or perfect. Um, I also liked uh, during the show. Um, we were deep in the caverns of the Underdark, which is the underground area uh, of the world, for people who don't know D&D. And we were in uh, some sort of a, an enemy camp run by um, these things called Mind Flayers, which are basically squid-looking dudes who can control your mind. Land Cthulhu. Land Cthulhu, yep. And um, we wanted to get in and take one of them out, so I, Sam Regal, who plays a gnome, Bard, and I snuck in, both invisible, I think, and I had told, I, I had the idea for Scanlan to get a bucket of poop. Well, I, or I think I said tar or pitch, and, and what he found was goblin shit. Oh, sorry. Uh, as you do, I guess. As you do. Well, there were goblins around. Uh, so we had a bucket of uh, stagnant goblin uh, poo, and we snuck in, and I remember being you know, just like vibrating with nervousness because we were surrounded by bad things uh, walking quietly amongst them and we just kept rolling okay and we were rolling okay and we got there and Sam's uh, his bard went invisible and went right into the, the thing's face and I did what rogues do which is I stabbed from behind and I got him within a millimeter of being finished and then he tried to hurt me and then on my next turn finished him nice and I I it just it feel, I mean I know it's not real but but we none of us want to lose our characters either yeah. because we've been so invested and so I knew that I was again doing what I said which is I'm doing something really some would say stupid but I would say uh, gutsy and uh, 
pushing it to the limit and seeing if I can make it out. And it's a sense of accomplishment when your character comes out on top in a yeah. campaign. Yes. If you don't risk it, then you're never going to have those moments. Now, someday I'm going to stick my hand in and I'm going to get it bitten off. But you're going to lose a for hand. For the time being, yeah. Or a foot, which, I, which almost happened. Um, but I will probably keep doing that until I die and then some other interesting fellow will join the group. And come up with a new character and just mm-hmm. keep rolling? Yeah. I played so another uh, game for funsies um, uh, about a month ago, and even though I knew it was probably a one-off, maybe we'll play it a little bit more on the side, but uh, I instantly fell in love with him, too. I was like, oh, I want to do I want to do this more, and he's got that, and he's got this, and I can do that. Huh. So it's slowly sinking its claws deeper, deeper and deeper into me. It sounds like it, but that's not a bad thing. I don't think so. So getting back to uh, all work, no play, Uh, how did that start? Uh, That came from Sam and I. Sam is another Swiss Army knife. He acts, he writes, he directs. He directs a ton for Disney and Nickelodeon and everybody these days. And um, But we're really close friends. He's like a brother for me. Um, Love him with all my heart. And we just realized we we weren't seeing each other that much. And so we thought, all right, we can, we can, first we, deluded ourselves and said we'll get together once a week uh, which became two which became a month which became I, we haven't done one in six months we're doing one tonight um, that was actually my next question I had a couple of a couple of fans of the podcast say mm-hmm. ask them if there's going to be more episodes in the future we want to know they will there will be they will be totally irregular and whenever we happen to have free time the problem is when we started it um, we were in a sweet spot for time because Sam had just had his first child uh, but when you have a kid in the beginning, they're like a potato, so they're pretty manageable <laughs> for the most part. And we're recording it at his place anyway, so um, so he had enough time. And my kids had just gotten old enough that I I was able to justify getting out of the house to go and have a crack of beer and, and talk about stupid stuff. Um, now he's got two kids, uh, and and they're and not potatoes. They're not potatoes anymore. One of them is just coming out of potato. And one's been out of potato for a while. Um, and he's probably directing more than he ever has in his life. So he has become much more locked up. Um, and I've become s- slightly uh, more free. So we just haven't had had time in the schedule. But that was the whole point of the, the podcast, which is we work so much. We never do anything fun. We don't see each other. So we're going to force ourselves to get together and have fun and try something new. We did... Um, well, we played the D&D game. We played multiplayer online for the first time ever, the both of us, which seems simple to most of the people watching this, I'm sure. What we, game? Resident Evil 6. Nice. Of, ran, course. of course. Of course. Ran into walls the whole time. Um, we so, did... What's the thing on the ice We're, with the broom? Where oh, you, uh, um, what's it called? Curling. Curling. We went curling. You uh, went curling. We went curling. In L.A. In L.A. there was a rink. We went curling. <laughs> nice. Um, stuff like that. And then we talked. We went to a tarot card tarot card reader. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind giving us a little preview, what's on the, uh, for tonight's episode? Oh, there isn't one. There, we, we rarely know what we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, I think we'll try to remember. I don't in this second remember what the last thing we did months ago. There was something. Maybe it was the curling. I think it was the curling. You ended on curling. I think it was the curling. So we'll we'll discuss curling <laughs> and uh, try to uh, come up with something to do between tonight and the next time, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about. Um, I have no Whatever idea. Whatever you did, I have no idea. Whatever falls out of my butt in the moment. 
So there's no real plan going forward. It's just, we did a thing. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about, I mean, when we were regular, it would be, how's your day? How's your week? What have you been working on without giving specifics? We said we could. NDAs. War stories. We would share war stories. I think we said in an early episode. Um, And then have a period where we talk about anything. And then we get to the end where we would talk about what we did the last time and what we're going to do the next time. It's all just an excuse to jaw. So is there anything on your all work, no play bucket list? Anything you'd like to do and then talk about? Uh, I think we want to go uh, rock climbing with Jen Hale sometime. Nice. Um, I'd love to go to Burning Man sometime, but that's that's pretty big. That's a tall order. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's on the bucket list. That's like but, actual bucket list. But it's at the it's at the very top of the bucket list. Um, I don't know. I'd like to... Uh, just stuff and things, stuff and things, things and stuff. Uh-huh. Sounds like a good thing to do for a podcast. I would like to switch over to Robots in Disguise okay. because I am super biased. Mm-hmm. Have you been a Transformers fan for a long time, or oh. was this entirely new to you? Oh yeah, um, I watched all of Generation One. Loved it. All several hundred episodes, or however many there were. Well, hundreds of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if I saw every episode, but I watched it constantly. Um, had plenty of the toys. Went through a period where, I wish I hadn't, but I went through a period where I would take them and get a little screwdriver and try to take them apart and put them back together again. Sometimes successful, sometimes not. Um, loved the movie. Had my soul and heart crushed uh, when Prime died. And even even on the ship, when uh, there was a moment early in that movie, I mean, this is that movie came out when I was pretty wide, innocent, and wide-eyed. But there was a moment, and it the was super that movie. traumatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Decepticons raided some sort of Autobot ship, and they implied that they kill everyone on the ship. Yeah. They only showed one thing though. At the end, Ratchet, who's a pretty big character on the show, comes crawling up to him like gut shot on the ground, and and looks up at Megatron and says, "You know you can't." And Megatron just looks down at him. And uh, Deadpan says, how heroic. <laughs> and I was probably eight or something going. <laughs> and my innocence was lost. I don't think anyone expects that going into that movie. Mm. I mean, I watched it for the first time about a year ago and went, okay, I knew Optimus died. The but the rest of this is like, time? what? The very, very first time? It came out before I was born. Well, okay. okay. <laughs> I have an excuse. Mm-hmm. So you've been in Transformers for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I used to love going to um, my best friend when I was a kid. His name is Adam Drucker. He's now a rapper named Dose One. He's great. Mm. Uh, And his father, Steve Drucker, was cool dad. He was the coolest dad and took me and Adam to Forbidden Planet Comics in New York City and Chinatown. And we would go and see. And he had all these robots from Japan before. I mean, there was Transformers, and that was it. But they had all these things. I didn't even know what they were. I still don't know what they all were. Um, and just slowly became obsessed with them growing up. Loved Transformers for a long time. And I got to do a couple characters for the, the Cybertron games mm-hmm. several years back. So I got my first taste of it. Um, War on, Fall of, etc. Yes, yeah. I played, Who did you voice? I played Air Raid hmm. uh, for one. And... There was a moment in that session where I had to yell, Optimus, look out. And it took me eight times to do it because I kept giggling, kept laughing. Because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't believe I was really doing it because it was such a huge part of my, my childhood. And I would get like two-thirds of the way through, Optimus, 
I'm sorry. I was, I'm gonna. This is the one. This is the one. I was like, I am a transformer. <laughs> so it's childhood dreams come childhood true. Childhood dreams come true. That's what this career has been. It's slowly childhood dream after childhood dream coming true. And now you've got underbite on robots in disguise. Yeah. Yes. Which trumped. The games. I'm sorry, I love the games, but uh, to be a part of the sort of lineage of, of animated series connected to Transformers was huge, 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 huge. So, did you audition specifically for Underbite, or were you picked for that role? How did that um, process go? I auditioned for th- two or three roles. I auditioned for Underbite. I auditioned for. Um, I don't know all the good guys' names by heart. Uh, it's going to get me into jazz, so much trouble. Drift. No, 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 not no, jazz, not drift, guys? not fix it, not bumblebee, sideswipe, uh, strong arm, sideswipe. You auditioned for sideswipe. Red, red, red car. Yeah, yes, yeah, sideswipe, sideswipe. Sorry, sorry, An- sorry, hair. everybody. That guy. Yes, that guy. That guy. Um, and I and I scratched an episode or two uh, in the beginning just because. Really? Well, just because he wasn't available right away, so I was there. True. Um, I think they knew they wanted to use me. Uh, somehow, after, after the auditions I did, um, and that's just where I <laughs> fell in. So instead of being a speedster, they put you as the big deep voice. The big deep voice, right? Continuing that that chain. So I have to ask: bots or cons? Autobots or Decepticons? Oh, Decepticons. <laughs> Easy. This, there's no question. No pause. No pause. I mean, it's like my mother always said growing up: Liam, might makes right. <laughs> Just grab power anywhere you can. Crush the little guy. And take if you what you can want. eat a city along the way. If hey. you can eat a city, right. If you can... Oh, yeah. that That's the dream is... Uh, what's his name? Unicron. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe when I get old and I just let it all go and I'm just soaked in whiskey and my voice is you know, craggly, I can walk in and I can sit down in a chair and talk about eating the world. <laughs> That'd be all right. That's wonderful, and I would mm-hmm. love to hear that. <laughs> so what inspired Underbite's voice? Where did you pull that voice from? Uh, what they said in the beginning was that they wanted uh, a wrestler feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I have a bit of a twang with what I'm doing, but that wasn't, like, the request. That was just where my mind went when they said big, big beefy wrestler brain dude who's in love with himself, in love with his muscles. Um, and, and then I just pushed as far down on my chest as I'm able. And I think they wanted a, a big personality. So I'm really doing my best in addition to chewing cities to chew scenery <laughs> for him. So he's a very ostentatious sort of he's, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a big personality. So he needs, he needs big cities, a lot of room. <laughs> So, just in general, with all the acting that you've done, if you could redo or redub any role, what would it be and why? <sighs> no one has ever asked me that question. Really? To redo a role and how would I... Yeah, get a second chance at something. Hmm. Who? You're going to make me stall out. Are you just happy eye. with everything you've done? No, definitely <laughs> not, but... I also don't want to step on anybody's toes or knock anything. And also, nothing is coming into my head. Uh, well, obviously, you're perfect. No. No. I'd be <laughs> the first yeah, yeah. to tell you that I am not perfect. I don't know. My accents are better now than they were at the beginning, so I'm sure I would love to go back and revisit with years of experience to roles I've done. 
back when. What have been some of the more difficult roles to voice, to get into character, to find the voice, any aspect? Um, Well, Gollum is difficult, although I love it so much I don't mind. Um, And that was also just physically taxing. Um, I I didn't just do the voice for that game. I I performance captured it. Really? Yeah, I got the monkey suit on, the spandex, and I climbed all over the place. I mean, it's fun to do. But to do it for six or seven hours, I mean, I'm not You're 19, dying 19 anymore. Yeah, I was there. There was one scene, his last scene in the game, where he comes skittering down a hill and he just sort of lashes out at other characters in the game. And uh, I did that. I, they set up boxes, and I'm not a spider, but I basically, sorry, it's <laughs> right. I basically crawled down like this. Like the, the it was a downward slope, and I went head first, and wow. then had to jump around and, and get physical and we did that like eight times and wow. uh, I am not a spring chicken so uh, I loved it and in the moment full of adrenaline and anger and loss and longing it, it, it was great but then they would yell cut and I'd go <clears throat> oh, oh, so that was a, a huge challenge um, other other job that comes to mind is a game called Asra's Wrath mm-hmm. where I played Asra Mm-hmm. And he was wrathful. He was a uh, sort of a, <laughs> you don't say a Japanese deity, and uh, he was just full of anger. And it was he was just bellowing the entire time. Um, I got to the studio that day, and it was a studio where they had this huge projector screen for the clients to see when they sit on the couch and look up, and they can see in the booth. And it's Excel documents. For video games, we deal primarily in Excel documents all day. I never knew how much Excel would be a part of my life. Huh. Uh, but we walked in, and I looked at the screen, and it just said in parentheses, you know, all these rows, Excel rows, scream, 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 scream. Oh, and no. I said, oh, hey, um, <laughs> just want to check. I see the screams up there. That's probably, like, that's the combat stuff. So can we do all, like, his cutscene stuff first, and we'll do the combat later just to preserve my voice? And I went, yeah, that's the cutscenes. So just across the across the board, just just ah, he does that forty percent of the game maybe. So I and they they were good to me. They spaced it out. I did short sessions with with weeks with like a week off in between. If they had asked me to do full four hours, which is the norm, and then come back the next day and the next day, I would I would not have been able to do it. I had to do it and then recuperate and do it again and recuperate. Short sessions on a lot of hot tea. A lot of hot tea. A lot of something called Nim Jam Pepakwa, which is this... I've never uh, heard of that. It has slowly taken the voice acting community in L.A. by storm. It's this Chinese goop um, that tastes like a really powerful cough syrup, and it coats your throat and sort of coasts you to the end of rougher sessions. Uh, we've hmm. got all these little habits we have that didn't exist 10 years ago because 10 years ago we did not have... A hundred first-person shooters and Call of Duty games up the wazoo. So every guy and now now women as well, more and more, are going in for sessions to yell, "Cover me! He's on me! Get over here! I need ammo!" Just and you're going down this long list. So I'm it, hit! I'm hit! I'm hit! I'm hit! And uh, and the actor is hit. They're hit. <laughs> um, so we have learned. You have to be very careful with your schedule. You have to know. All right, this is probably going to be a, a rough session. Um, I can't take a job uh, promoting PBS the next day. You're probably going to, if you don't lose your voice, which you're not necessarily, I don't usually lose my voice. It's happened a couple of times. Uh, But you are going to sound huskier. Uh, I got a job once because I went and yelled like a soldier, and then I auditioned for sort of like a New Orleans 
jazz band leader, and they liked this. They liked the texture that I had for my audition, and I booked it because of that. So you had to blow out your voice for this part. No, and I faked it. Well, that's what got it for me, and then I faked it later. So what are some other tricks of the trade, then, to help preserve your voice, to help you keep going? Um, hmm. A lot of water, uh, tea, uh, sleep, if you're doing that kind of stuff. like Who sleeps? <laughs> who sleeps, exactly. <laughs> um, but if... There have been weeks in in my career where I've had three or four sessions like that scheduled, and wow. you can't you can't skimp on sleep. You have to take care of yourself because uh, it if you don't, you're gonna you know you'll just get the flu or something afterwards. Um, and know your limits, and also uh, I've I've passed on jobs sometimes. Not not like I'm I'm done with doing this, but I just know that I've I got to go in for a commercial or something more subdued, and I have to that job was here first, and I can't you know Makes knowingly sense. accept a job the day before, or two days before, where I'm yelling about space aliens. Makes sense. Mm. Now there have been some infamous voice actor stories, like Dragon Ball Z actors passing out in the booth and just things kind of going wrong. Has any mm. of that ever happened to you? Gone wrong for me. Just interesting booth stories. I get hiccups sometimes. I really? get hiccups. I get hiccups when I have to do maniacal laughter often. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it'll. I'll go like, <laughs> and I can't. And we'll have to leave it and come back to it. And well, you play villains. I know. I know. It happens like every third time I have to do that. Um, what else? Uh, a story I've told before. And it's in a book about voice acting by uh, Yuri Lowenthal and Tara Platt. Um, but the first job, my first voiceover job ever was on an anime series called Boogie Pop Phantom. Yes. And I was in the booth. And um, something I'm very familiar with now, but I wasn't on day one, is sometimes the Japanese animators will animate a long line or monologue. And it just keeps going. And there's no stopping or pausing, but the human body doesn't work like that. You have to stop and inhale so you can keep going, but it's but it goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And you can like try to take a quick catch breath and continue. And uh, so I had this huge monologue where the character's just walking along crazily on the street talking to himself and I just had to keep going. And I went, okay, here we go. This will probably be like five or six takes to get this one. And I just started doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And somewhere in the middle of it, and, and I made it to the end. And a second or two went by, and I had already started processing, okay, on the next take, what am I going to do? Maybe I could try to do the pause there. And then suddenly, boom, a hand slapped up on the glass right next to me, and there was a post-it between the hand and the glass. And there was an an, an F and a B on it, and I flew back <laughs> off the stool I was sitting on. And the guy who was on the other side um, was like, looked rabid. He was like, at the glass. And I thought I was getting fired. I thought I'd said something wrong or insulted Japan or I didn't know what I had done. And like a, a beat. And they went, fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, so there's that. And now we know what FB means. FB. FB. For but one guy, it means effing brilliant. That's pretty amazing. So is that one of the more difficult things you've done for voice acting then? Just that monologue? No. That that no. that seems easy compared to the shouting for Asura's Wrath or Goleming or uh, Gara can, could be uh, taxing sometimes as well. Um, Screaming and fighting. Mm-hmm. and yeah. Not so much now. He's very relaxed and groovy, but he used to roid out and <laughs> turn into a big giant cookie dough monster. I remember that, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. 
So I know it's kind of like picking children, but who's been your favorite to voice? I'll do five. My five, five favorites today. Uh, Gollum. Gara. Nightcrawler. Uh, mm, 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 mm. Well, you've got three, and that's pretty good. We'll stop there. Yeah, we'll, stop we'll stop there. Your top three. Mm-hmm. And what did you like about each of them? Uh, well, Gollum, I was in love with since a kid. I've read mm-hmm. all those books at least three times each. Um, loved him. Loved him in that cartoon from when we were younger. Um, and just loved the... I wouldn't want to live my life like this every day, but feel... And Gar is the same. So they, they share this sort of like... They're they're alone. And um, and Gollum, much more extreme than Gara even. But um, just the the... Allowing myself to put myself through the, like the raw intensity of being so hated and so um, feeling so terrible about yourself. Um, it's cathartic afterwards because I come out of it afterwards and go, I'm not that. I, I'm not there. I've gone in there and sort of had a taste of it. Um, and you can rage and, and, and spit and, and cry and then come out of it. And it helps... I don't want to get too flowery here, but it helps me to sort of process and cope the the smaller, by comparison, uh, struggles that I have. And, I, and you know, yeah. my, my life yeah. is not all sunshine and lollipops. I have plenty of, uh, you know, personal things, just like everybody does. Yeah. And it's like screaming in your car in traffic, you know. Um, and and then everyone my- who lives in L.A. knows how that goes. Right. But then Nightcrawler is a hero, and he's not full of rage and hate, and he has a German accent, and he teleports and has a prehensile tail, and he was my favorite X Men, X Man, X Men, X Man, mutant. My favorite mutant growing up. That's what I'm going to say it from now on. He was my favorite mutant uh, in the comics growing up. So that was another childhood dream checked off. And what franchise did you voice him in? What iteration uh, of X Men? I started voicing him um, in Wolverine and the X Men, mm-hmm. that cartoon. I also voiced Angel on that. And then there have been a couple other places where I've popped in. Um, what was the last? The last one I've been in Marvel Heroes, which is like the, yeah. the multiplayer online one. I've been doing him. Nice. There. Hmm? So I is like there? Him. are there any upcoming projects that you can tell us about? Anything that you're working on that isn't covered by 18,000 NDAs? No. No? <laughs> no, there isn't. Just another episode. Critical of Role. <laughs> Tune in to Critical Role, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be we'll be back up next week. And I'll work no play tonight. At tonight some and then sometime in the future. Awesome. Hmm. Well, where can the people go if they would like to find out more? Social networks, websites, etc. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook. There's a Liam O'Brien page. I'm very active though on Twitter uh, at Voice of O'Brien. O'Brien with an E, like Conan's. Um, and tune into Critical Role on Geek and Sundry. Uh, you'll see some of the uh, some of your favorite actors in this universe um, having a great time. All right, and thank you so much for coming in today. I had a great time talking with you. Me too, my pleasure. Thank you. Of course. As always, you guys, I'm Katie Cullen. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Kiaxet. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. And we will be coming back with Robots in Disguise on Sunday. So until then, thanks for watching. Roll out. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. 
We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Oh, look at that. The views expressed herein are those of the host only. They do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.